But we lived in Virginia, and he was five. And he went outside, and he liked to play with snakes. And he came in, and he had two lizards stuck to his ears, like earrings, and they wouldn't let go. This is Tammy Knight's favorite memory of her son, Paul Presley. They bit him, and they were hanging on and wouldn't let go. So I kind of had to squish the lizards to get him off his ears. Tammy lives in Mountain Home, in a small house with three rescued cats, two fish aquariums, an ashtray, and a muted TV. The shelves are crammed with fairy figurines and homemade ceramics. She doesn't work anymore, but she stays busy with her 10 grandkids and keeps a close relationship to her son. He's, he's my only boy. Every other week is what I can afford to go to the prison. Every time he has phone time, he calls mom at least once a week. Idaho Department of Corrections is south of Boise and a 40-mile drive from Tammy's home. She always brings extra money for the vending machines. They have ice cream and candy and chips and some heat em up sandwiches. V8 is his favorite. Tammy's been going to prison to visit Paul for almost 10 years. Paul has a long list of criminal activity, from drinking as a minor, to assault, to running from the cops, drugs, theft, juvenile delinquency. Despite that, Tammy says they're alike. He looks like me, he acts like me, he's got the mouth like me. <laughs> In May, she bought all the extra food. She bought her son new clothes and a striped couch with a pull-out bed. She started planning a family barbecue. Paul was approved for parole and set for release on May 15th. But the night before, Tammy got a call from the prison. 15 hours before his parole, they threw him in the hole and yanked it and said, oh, we're just kidding. And they never gave anyone, including his lawyer, any reason why. We still don't know why. And she felt devastated. My whole world revolved around him getting out. But she felt frustrated, too, because this isn't the first time. The parole board has rescinded his release before. Parole is important to Paul, maybe even more so than to other prisoners. In the summer of 2012, before parole was even a possibility, Paul started feeling sick. His head hurt and his stomach was upset. He felt dizzy and off balance. In a letter Paul sent to attorney's offices, he chronicles 10 days of that summer. He wrote that he got sick and was taken to the medical building at the Idaho Department of Corrections and diagnosed with heat exhaustion. The next day he was sick again and went back for more medical help. He complained about his head hurting. He wrote that the medical staff dismissed him and said that he was faking it or said that he was seeking drugs and said that he was fine. This happened daily for the next week. Paul called his mom frequently and Tammy started to worry. She called the prison, but she got no answers. She called the warden, but no answers. On the 10th day, Paul passed out and had a seizure. He woke up at St. Alphonsus. The following morning, doctors performed emergency brain surgery to remove a tumor. I was infuriated that they had not taken him serious at all. Paul has three boys, an 8, a 10, and an 11-year-old. They live in Idaho Falls. He wrote to their mother from the hospital before his brain surgery. And this is what the letter said. Tell our children I really love them and I'm sorry for being away, but I might not be okay to even talk to any of you anymore. Med said I was faking it and kept refusing to investigate, and now here I am with a brain tumor. I don't know if I can really write to the boys now without sobbing and getting super depressed. They tell me not to worry just yet, but being swept away for immediate brain surgery is no light subject. Just tell those boys of mine I love them so much more than I could show, and I'm sorry for that. The same for you. Paul got through his first brain surgery and started chemotherapy and radiation, but Tammy said the prison failed to get him to all of his appointments. He can't walk without holding onto the wall, and it's hard for him to speak. He sounds like he's, like his, when your lips are really, really cold, 
and you really can't talk very well like that and he talks fast like mom so he has to slow down it's hard to understand him on the phone it's a lot easier to understand him in person but I've only gotten to see him once since the surgery It's very hard, very, very hard to not think about it because they're not, they're not getting him to his doctor's appointment. They really don't care about these young men that are in the prison system. They're, they're not doing what they should do. And that's just really hard because if they're doing it to my son, they're doing it to a lot of other boys in there. So the fight for Paul's freedom began. Denise Sheldon has manicured nails and an iPhone Bluetooth and a blouse with leopard print trim. Her printer never stops printing. She works as a paralegal for attorney Ryan Earl, and she's taken an interest in Paul's case. Ryan wears a thick leather jacket and rides a motorcycle. So he's not a model citizen. That's not our contention. Um, he's very sick, though. We're concerned as to why he's still in prison. After his surgery, Paul was approved for release in December 2012, but his release was canceled. In May 2013, his release was rescinded again. No one in this room or Paul Presley knows why it was rescinded again. And this just seems cruel and unusual to keep someone that is this sick in the institution for reasons unknown. Unknown to him, to us, to anyone. And the man is fighting for his life. He's fighting to live. He needs treatment and he needs it regularly. Our concern is that he's not getting the best help possible. Denise put it like this. If Paul lived in the outside world and he started to feel sick one day, he could go to an urgent care center. And they might diagnose him with heat exhaustion, but if he went back the next day still feeling sick, they might think, well, that's weird. If he went back a third day, they'd probably say, we're going to run some tests. Paul's experience with medical staff in prison was the opposite. This man has brain tumors and he's dying from them. Ryan and Denise have struggled to obtain parole and medical records to see why Paul was held back. Denise says these files are confidential. Even the inmate is not entitled to see his own file. There are these mysterious documents called C-notes, and the only people allowed to see them are the guards and the parole board. I called the executive director of the parole board, Olivia Craven, several times, and she finally agreed to an interview. She told me to call her back, but despite almost 10 voice messages, she would not respond for comment. Ryan says this is frustrating because it gives him no chance to respond or to properly defend his client because he doesn't even know what he should argue against. And Ryan doesn't think Paul is exactly the most high-risk parolee. He's had a life-altering experience in having brain cancer. Okay. I, I do sense a change in him. Yeah. I do think he's fighting for his life. Um, and I think he's taking this time that he's now granted seriously. Um, and I, I don't think, and I, I would like to believe that he doesn't want to spend the rest of that time, however much it is, performing crimes and ending up in prison. I think, in my opinion, he would like to redeem himself in some way before he goes. It's September 16th, 2013, at 8.30 in the morning. 
Tammy is near tears outside of the prison fence. Her husband, Paul's stepdad, gives her a hug. <coughs> Attorney Ryan Earl walks up to them in his leather jacket, carrying a messenger bag. Together, we go inside the prison for Paul's third parole hearing, where recording is not allowed. Paul wears all white, with large letters spelling medical down his pant leg. Tammy cries a little when she sees him and pulls him into a hug and tells him she loves him. He looks small, shrunken, but his color is good. He had his second brain surgery only a few weeks before, earlier this fall. There's almost 30 scars where the staples were. We go into the hearing in a big white room. Tammy tells the commissioners that she's available at all times to get Paul what he needs, to take him to his appointments. She says he'll do better on the outside, trying to recover from a second bout of brain cancer. Commissioner Mike Matthews tells him he's been given opportunities for a parole before. He asks questions about the halfway house where Paul has decided to go. It's right by St. Luke's downtown, where his appointments are. Ryan speaks up for Paul, saying that he's seen a substantial change in his client, that he has a good plan in place, and he's battling for his life. The board granted Paul parole and said a date would be determined. Out of the 7,500 inmates in Idaho's prisons, a little more than 2,000 will go to parole hearings. Only about 60% will actually be granted release. That was the case in 2012 anyway. In 2011, it was 63%. With Paul's release within reach, Tammy will start to plan that family get-together again. Have a family barbecue. The whole family wants to. Just stuff him full of really good food. Spare ribs, homemade tater salad, coleslaw, watermelon. You know, all the things that they can't have in there. For Ryan and Denise, they haven't asked for a dollar. This is so egregious. This shouldn't need anybody to intervene and do a lawsuit or any kind of action. Human beings should just be involved with, this is serious, the guy's on the gravel, he's passed out, it's 100 degree heat. Compassion for another human being, regardless of the situation is all we're saying. So if what we can do now with this case prevents the next offender down the line from laying in the gravel in 100 degree heat, throwing up until he's in convulsions uh, before he gets help, then it's worth it. It's 100% worth it. On the morning of Thursday, October 10th, Paul was released from prison. A pastor from his halfway house picked him up and helped him settle in. Tammy drove from Mountain Home and they shared their first meal together again at Grand China Buffet. They sat in a corner booth. Paul's plate was piled high with fried shrimp and curly fries and honey chicken and egg rolls. There's fish and cabbage. He traded his white prison suit for a baggy black shirt and jeans. And he's happy. It's good. Good to be out. Smells nice. Tastes good. Nothing can go wrong out here for quite some time. What are you going to do tomorrow? Stroll around, see the river, feed the ducks. I have no idea. Tammy stares at her son from across the table with this look like if she so much as blinked, he might not be there anymore. She says she feels awesome. awesome. One of my best days. <laughs> Wonderful. Couldn't get any better to think today. And it's my favorite restaurant, that's why I brought him here. The prognosis on Paul's tumor isn't known yet. He's had two surgeries, several rounds of chemo, and will continue receiving treatment regularly. 
He had a seizure shortly after the parole hearing that hospitalized him for a full day. But he has plans. I'm going to ride a horse before I die and go fish. Just see my kids live life. Paul felt incredibly frustrated when his parole was rescinded, twice. He had no idea why, even after meeting with the executive director of the parole board. He tried not to spout off too much, but his brain isn't even working right. So it's easy for him and his mom to feel like that time that he could have been free is lost. It was the last year I might have with my family. I mean, I might live in six months or a year if this stuff does me in, but... A lot of stressful, hard time. And that was a lost time on our part, that we could have had him at home and been enjoying the last little bit that we have. And at least making it a really light time, a happy time, instead of just sad. But I have him now. So we're going to make uh, up for all that lost time if we can. For KRBX Radio Boise, I'm Jessica Murray.